Welcome to the 149th edition of the Guna Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Witcher, and we are recording on the Wednesday evening before Arsenal face Swansea at home, at the tail end of the second international break of the season. Arsenal sit in third place, two points behind leaders Manchester City, and are unbeaten in their Champions League group. So let us start, as traditional, with the panel introductions. First up, a regular podcast panellist and the man who represents the Guna these days when we, re- we get requests from TV and radio. In the forthcoming issue of the fanzine, he has penned a piece on the 2016 summer transfer window entitled Too Little, Too Late. Let's see. It's too much too little, too late, actually. Oh, well, just to uh, reference a uh, 80s song, I think. Let's see if his optimism has improved since penning that. Drinking San Pellegrino sparkling water this evening, it's a warm welcome to Mr. David Udo. Evening all. And next up, another regular and a man who I often get a call from after matches for a bit of counselling in, <laughs> in my role as his Arsenal Anonymous sponsor. He spent time recently in Barcelona, where he witnessed that rarity of a home defeat for Luis Enrique's side, and in a coastal hideaway between Valencia and Alicante. It's a good life, but at some point he had to return to London and face the music. It's Hampstead's tallest man, drinking Perrier water this evening, the inimitable Mr Mustafa Goldstein. That was quite an introduction, I've got to say, Kev. I'm, I'm, I'm honoured. <laughs> that, that is the best introduction I've ever had. Right, oh well. Uh, last but not least, a podcast debutant. He's written a couple of pieces for the Guna website lately and is more frequently spotted on Untold Arsenal. Evidence that the Guna is a broad church that exists to represent the views of Arsenal fans with views right across the spectrum, from Arson is God to Wenger is the Devil Incarnate. He is also the author of a book on Arsenal's 2015-16 campaign entitled It's Happened Again, which is available from Amazon in both print and e-book versions. So with that plug, a very warm welcome to our first-time guest, the Guinness drinking, Mr Tim Charlesworth. Thank you, Kevin. Huge pleasure to be with you. Right, OK, so let's start with the football chat, which is why we're here. So, uh, Chelsea at home and Basel at home, very good performances. Burnley away, not so. Which type of performance are we likely to see more of this season? Tim? (laughs) Uh, I have huge optimism we're going to see more of the Chelsea-style performances. I thought the Chelsea game was the best uh, of the two uh, realistically we can't expect to see that every week um, it was a great game, everyone performed well, uh, all 11 players had a good game, you can't expect that to occur uh, every match but uh, it gave me a lot of optimism uh, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of Arsenal this season. What do you think happened at Burnley? 
I think at Burnley, we had it was our third game in eight days. You were up against a team that set up very defensively, uh, and they were hard to break down. Um, and we needed a slice of luck, and uh, we got it. Uh, Mustafa, aka Basti, um, did you did you see the Burnley game first? I saw. No, I didn't. I I, I was. Uh, I got the result at half the half time result, and then I I. Um, went off down to the sea and tried to just go, oh, it's not happening, it's not happening. And I had this really nasty feeling we, were, we weren't going to get three points at Burnley. And uh, then I, it was quite peculiar because I got back to where there's a bit of Wi-Fi. I don't have Wi-Fi, albeit uh, over there. And uh, uh, it said 90 minutes, nil-nil. I thought, oh, sod it, we've blown it. You know, there goes our great run. And I could see by the reports on the BBC it was all dreadful. And... I thought, I'm going to change device, because that way maybe it'll work. So I changed device, and lo and behold, (laughs) 1-0. That is the secret to our season. It's the secret, and I took it was just lovely. It was one of those little moments, you just go, obviously we'd won ugly. I watched the Chelsea and Burnley games, and uh, it was sublime. I I must make a point of watching the games, at least, if not when I'm here going to them, because obviously we do better when I do. <laughs> okay. So sorry if you all voodoo about it, fellow football supporters, but you know what I mean. Uh, David, would you say fatigue was the major factor in the inability to break down Burnley? Um, well, I'd, I'd like I'd like to think that that was it. Yeah, as as you know, notwithstanding the, the Liverpool debacle on the opening day of the season, we have started the year very very well, but. Um, what what gets me it, with, with Arsenal, as always, uh, with our opposition, is they watch the previous three games. They know the way that we play. Uh, we don't vary. As Wenger is always right, he's never been wrong in his entire life. And Arsenal will play the same way for those 90 minutes. Our only alternative of throwing on uh, Giroud and pumping balls up to uh, his head in the last three or four minutes, or Welbeck, with them both being out injured, we can do that. So just persevering with our new essential 4-2-4 formation, uh, battering away and hopefully Samuel will come. And Although rather than um, breaking the team down with some um, uh, 1982 Brazil-esque one-touch football, it was a goal scramble that was a handball that was offside yeah. from a certain point of view. But um, uh, in answer to your question, I hope it was fatigue. Uh, uh, or maybe, hopefully, Bengal will realise now we do have to, have to diversify if it is nil-nil after 70 minutes, as we experience week in, week out for about three or four years at the turn of the decade. I think it is, though, a, a factor that we because we've got Mustafi and Shaka now, and there seems to be a kind of solidity at the back, and we're not as frail, that if we... It's a good sign that we can win ugly at places like Burnley when they shut up shop in the 93rd minute, because... It's just, you know, um, if we can do that, maybe, you know, just maybe we can get a little bit of consistency going and get some results even when, we, you know, when someone does shut up shop. I mean, as, as you know, as David said, you know, it's the, they know how Arsenal are going to play. It's a load of, like, not very tall people running around playing ticker-tacker. So the thing you do is park the bus and, you know, try and frustrate them. Uh, nearly came off for Burnley and... Mm. Uh, well, yes. do you think then that um, we should continue with the policy of Alexis as the centre forward? I mean, some would argue this is an example of Arsene Wenger still having the ability to tactically innovate. Some people would say it's desperation. Um, Tim, what's your view on that? I, I, I'm quite excited by Alexis's performances up front. I think Wenger has been looking for an alternative to Giroud for a number of years. 
He's had a, a, a famous raft of unsuccessful transfer attempts. Uh, he tried Theo last year. Uh, and I think he's been, he's been looking to try and replace Giroud and, and change the style of the team for a while. Alexis is the best of the things that he's tried so far. I think, you know, we're, we're only, um, uh, whatever it is, seven games into the season. I think you, it's too early to conclude that it's a success. But it's looking good. Um, it gives the team a different dynamic. Uh, it enables us to press from the front. And, and a, a modern striker uh, needs to be able to, to sort of lead the forward players uh, in pressing the opposition defence. And we saw how successful that was against Chelsea. He caught Cahill out. Uh, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. So we're perhaps going to see less successful headed crosses converted into the net. But I think Alexis brings some different things to the team. But I think the team functions better uh, with him in it. And I think he'll get goals. You, you realise we're essentially impersonating Manchester City under Guardiola. In the sense that it's a 4-2-3-1, but essentially it's working as a 4-2-4. You have two good holding midfielders. And the attacking four, you have a slight, ever so slightly, deep-lying playmaker. We, we have Ozil. Uh, Man City, they have Silva. Uh, and then you've got uh, the three around them. And um, for Switzerland City, it's Aguero up front. For us, it's Alexis. The thing is, Aguero's played his entire career as a centre-forward. He's a proper number nine. But he's, he's streets ahead in the Premier League from anyone else as a centre-forward. Sanchez is, you know, well, I think one of the... Um, uh, one of the things I've read about him in the, the number nine role for Arsenal is it's Wenger trying to finally get a Suarez up front in that role, uh, which is which is great. But um, there's a reason why Barcelona got rid of Sanchez to pay for Suarez, for one. And secondly, Suarez, in that brilliant year he had at, um, at Liverpool, he was playing up front with Dean Sturridge. And the two of them played off each other absolutely brilliantly and shared the goals amongst each other. And Sanchez doesn't really have anyone to share those goals with. Sure, there's Walcott, as, uh, who's in form at the moment, but um, you know that's only until he gets his new contract, right? And uh, yeah, but that, well, that's been proven. To re- my worry is that you've got Özil, Sanchez, and Walcott essentially at the moment, who are, are kind of goal opportunity, you know, uh, goal, goal sources of goals. And even against Basel, you know, uh, Sanchez had some sitters that. You know, Özil as well. They miss sitters that really they've got to put away, and they're they're, they're not out and out strikers. You know, they they might be two footed. They might be able to pass brilliant. They would look Kazola as well, but kicking a ball in front of goal, it's just as likely to go. Um, probably not as bad as Oxlade or Chamberlain at kicking the ball at the goal, but um, you know, I mean, it's like. We don't have a Sanchez. We don't have. It's not Henri or Ian Wright out there. You know, mm. there's not that they're. they're, they're they're quite sophisticated, delicate players in a way, uh, and but they don't have that killer instinct in front of so goal. Diego Costa being an example. No, but the Diego Costa's. Can I use the C word? No. <laughs> yes, he is a cheat. Yeah, you are, you are right. He is a cheat. Just, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm not talking about, about, I'm not talking about his personality. No. I'm talking about the style of attacker. No, no I just I don't even want no. What's I the don't difference? Want that. No, What's that's the difference between? Ian Wright, totally Diego different. Costa. Ian Wright was like proper Arsenal, lovely, <laughs> throwing through red and white blood and Costa's blue scum. But apart from that, Ian Wright wasn't a cheat like Costa. Ian Wright, he, he, was, he was tough and he was hard. He'd go in two-footed sometimes or he'd kick Schmeichel in the teeth, whatever. But he, he, he could be a little dirty, but he wasn't that kind of... What he didn't do was go down and go, oh, poor me and stuff. 
a, a miles better player than Costa ever will be in his wildest dreams in my opinion. The thing is with, with Costa, I mean, he, he's a similar centre-forward in ways in the way that Giroud is, in the sense that a lot of his game is played with back-to-goal, holding the ball up for the attacking three behind him to take the ball off him and, and finish it all off. I mean, Costa does that with his elbows yeah. as well as his left foot. Yeah. But um, with all, all due respect to Giroud, despite being um, uh, referred to as uh, the best French centre-forward, one of the best forwards in the Premier League for the four or five years we've had him now, uh, by essentially making up uh, a big toe injury to stick him on the bench. I mean, I think this is Wenger's polite way of saying, you are done here, and hoping that Montpellier can find uh, 27 pence to take him back next summer. I mean, Wenger came out and said that he's, actually, I've been thinking all along that we we do need to uh, play Sanchez up front again. Of course, that's why he went after Jamie Vardy after three weeks at the transfer window. No, he's he's deceiving everyone. The best he can do with all that he's got at the club is to do a 4-2-4. Sanchez is first choice. Second choice will eventually be Welbeck if he comes back. So at the moment, it's his temporary replacement, Lucas Perez, before he's sent back on loan to Deportivo. The problem is with uh, putting all our eggs in Sanchez's basket is obviously if he overplayed it last season at one well, point. Isn't, isn't that the reason that Perez has been bought? But Perez, I mean, has, he scored one great goal against Forest, I think. Apart from that, you know, well, he hasn't had a chance. He hasn't had a yes. chance. I remember, I remember Burkamp and Henri took months to kind of settle in and bed down. So let's see if he can, if he can, you know, be that player. Um, great. I hope so. I hope he's got that. You know, got that. And he scored seventeen goals in the league, didn't he? Yes. Last season. He but if he can get that for us, I'd be happy. Yes. Um, well, I mean, we're looking at the attack. Uh, and Actually, how many did uh, Giroud score last season? 16, I think it was. was it? In the Premier League? Yeah, I think so. Right, OK. Um, I, I was happy to stand corrected. OK. Well, about, I think he scored about four less than Aguero and Vardy, and most yeah. of the difference was penalties. Yes. I, I know we haven't had a 20-goal 20, 20 Premier League striker since Van Persie, I think. Yes. Um, I'm going to just go to one of our um, listeners' questions. This is uh, Joe Galliardi, who often uh, tweets, and he, he asked, does the panel feel Theo's improved play is temporary or permanent? Now, Theo has declared that after a decade at the club, he's seen the light in terms of what someone in that position should be doing uh, with regards to his defensive responsibilities more than anything. Um, astonishing it, it, it took 10 years out, of, uh, out, out for England yesterday at one point <laughs> yes didn't he? he didn't have a great game against Slovakia that's a fact um, however he has been playing well for Arsenal I don't, even, even the most uh, anti-Walcott uh, uh, fan would acknowledge that um, has he seen the light in respect of he's going to become consistently good or is this another false dawn from Theo mm. Tim are you I a believer? Am, I, I am a believer because I'm an optimist. Uh, but you're rationality, my man. However, however, I have to say, I, uh, my, I, my soul is slightly burnt by believing in him as a striker last season. Hmm. I think he started the season extremely well, and I was convinced that Theo was going to finally fulfil his destiny as a centre-forward, uh, and it really did go horribly wrong. So... Uh, I am so pleased to see him playing well. I think the crowd at the Emirates has a lot of affection for him and wants to encourage him and wants him to succeed. So I think it's quite generous considering uh, uh, what he's done in an Arsenal shirt. Uh, and I hope he does succeed. Um, 
I'm, I'm really uh, not going to commit myself to saying he will, though, because he really did... Uh, I really felt personally betrayed by Theo's loss of form last season. And, and Theo's loss of form last season was one of the things that cost us the title last year. Uh, let's not kid ourselves, you know. There were a few things that went wrong, and one of the big ones was that we ended up relying on Giroud. We played him too much. He got exhausted, he stopped scoring, and, and we fell out of the title race. That, and that is a big part of what happened last season. And who do you blame for that, Tim? Who do I blame for that? Mm, whose responsibility was it? Well, I think, I think Wenger took a gamble. Um, he took a gamble of going into the season with Giroud and Walcott as his two main strikers. Uh, that looked up until Christmas, New Year, that looked like it was going well. Um, and... He, he basically completely lost Walcott. He was absolutely hopeless for the second half of the season. He really contributed nothing. He appeared to just get worse and worse as the season uh, wore on. In the end, he was dropped. He didn't play. He wasn't even coming on as a sub. Uh, so the striking, the striking department that Wenger went into the season with didn't work out. And, and really, that was, you know, Theo let him down. Should he have made that, you know, was it, was it a stupid gamble to take to go in with, with um, Theo and Giroud? Obviously, in hindsight, it was a stupid gamble because it, it failed. But in football, you have to take gambles. You can't have 15 players to cover every position. But he took a gamble and it didn't work. You wrote a book on last season. Uh, one of the interesting things to me about last season was they knew Welbeck was not going to play for, let's say, at least six months of that season. And had time to respond. The news came out the day before transfer window deadline, but I think they knew before. Um, and they took the decision not to buy. So they, I agree with you that Arsene gambled, and he, he got it wrong. I think we agree on that. I'm going to go now to another listener's question, Jonathan Hausman, who often uh, sends in a question. This month, he's asked, last year, entering a winnable run of games, we dropped points and got injuries. Will we learn this time? So, basically, my question to you, David, is, has, has the team learned from last year's failure and have the additions that, been, that have been made going to make things better? Well, with the exception of Oxlade-Chamberlain um, being dropped, I think we've had pretty much the same team out game after game. So with regards to injuries, <coughs> no, ep epic fail on our part. While Shad Forsyth is earning his £1.8 million a year by making our players jump over cones at the last minute of the warm-up, although he turns his back and people like Sanchez can't even bother doing that, um, we've not recovered on that front uh, at all. With regards to the players themselves... Uh, uh, Look, they operate under the instructions of their line manager like anyone does in any job in the world. You may have that situation where the boss gives you orders, order, you say, yes, of course, I'll get onto it straight away. And you go out of that meeting room muttering to yourself, he hasn't got a fucking clue. I'm not saying that hasn't done that at all. Uh, you know, oh God, I'm feeling awkward now because I've got work issues. <laughs> um, but uh, in, in answer to your question, uh, from, from the injury uh, on the injury front, uh, Kev, no, we, we, if our squad is as good as Wenger says it is, then for Swansea at home, with that being the first game after the uh, international break, we have, to do, we have to start exploring some, uh, some squad rotation. I think we've got four home games in 11 days um, against teams like Ludogorets, 
no one's heard of, Reading, Swansea uh, and Middlesbrough. If we've got a French international right back in Debussy, an England left back in Gibbs who just made the last squad, we're playing less than 45 minutes so far the season for Arsenal in, um, in league and, Premier, and, and Champions League competitions. We need to start vary, varying things because that gives everyone experience and if, God forbid, two run into each other and they get ACL injuries uh, rolling themselves out for the rest of the season, then we have to go to the bottom of the bucket straight away and start using those. So we need... Um, well, it, it's, it's going really well so far. We've had the international break. And with an inter- every single international break, you have to start again. So we have to get some variation going on. And let's say that happens mm. for the sake of argument. Do you think that the um, squad will handle pressure better this season than they seem to last? If it's spread around um, 22 players rather than 13, yeah, I, I, I think so. Okay. Um, I've got, uh, this was actually not sent in for the podcast, but I noticed it today and it, it uh, piqued my interest. It was a tweet uh, by a, um, a Guna reader who I, I happen to know, Martin Vengro. Hello, Martin. Um, and he tweeted, Santi contract up this season. Ozil, Sanchez, Ramsey, Wilshire, Giroud, Gibbs and the Ox all the season after. Arsenal are sitting on a time bomb. Um, do you think that a lot of these players are going to depart, or is it just that the club haven't quite got round to finalising their deals yet? For well, I think that uh, there are one or two I wouldn't lose sleep over departing. Um, should I name them? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I, to be honest with you, I, if the Ox went off to Middlesbrough or West Ham tomorrow, I wouldn't wouldn't lose any sleep. Uh, this will make me unpopular with some, but also Ramsey is not a player I feel has been a, an, exactly a rabbit's foot for the club. Um, well, I don't know, it's just when I watch him, but he always seems to just sometimes completely lose concentration and kick the ball into touch, and it's stuff like that. So so frustrating. Yes, he's talented. Yes, he has purple patches where it all goes right for him. But then he does have these long periods of, well, you know... Mediocrity, in a way. I, I don't think I don't think he's where we want to be going. Personally, yes, he had a good good uh, Euros with Wales, and uh, um, but I just um, yeah, he's ceased to be my favourite player. Um, as as for the others, listen, they're gonna you know there'll be a point where they'll have to be sitting around discussing that at board level or at manager level, and the manager's got to talk to the players, and of course the agents will all be running around trying to get a move for everyone because that's what agents do so uh, it's it's very important this season that we actually do it right, we win something if we're going to keep the Urzels and the Santis and all those players uh, well, I say we they, if they if they have to go and do it you know they've, they've got to go and win the league or or uh, or something um, because if I, I think if they don't win the league or dare I even dream of dreams win the Champions League, um, they are going to start thinking, well, maybe we want to go somewhere else. That, the, the Fabregas thing, you know, well, all the players went to City and Chelsea because they thought we're not going to win anything with Arsenal. Yes, possibly wages may be a factor, and you would like to think now that Arsenal um, can pay equivalent wages to most other clubs. I mean, Barcelona are not going to take back Sanchez, for example. Um, on this subject, Tim, do you think when these negotiations happen, 
The player gives a damn whether or not the manager is still going to be around. <laughs> it feels like players care less than they used to. I think if you're a professional footballer nowadays, when the average life of a manager is considerably shorter than the average life of a footballer's contract, you can't be too fussy uh, about the manager. If there's one exception to that, it's probably Arsenal uh, and Arsene Wenger, where there's an expectation perhaps that uh, Wenger might last longer than a player's contract. Um, I don't, it doesn't feel to me that uh, Ozil and Sanchez care as much about whether Wenger will still be there in their contract as Fabregas did, for example. Fabregas seemed to feel very strongly about it, although in the end obviously not strongly enough. Um, I don't get the impression that these two guys do, and I think that's the modern, that's the modern footballer that you can't care about, that you cannot take that approach uh, to your football anymore. So I, I think it makes less of a difference. I, I don't know. Ozil, in particular, is a very difficult guy to read. Wenger would appear to be a very good manager for him because he tries to boost his confidence and tries to build a team around him. I never hear Ozil playing back that, that he really feels strongly about that. So I'm not sure how much he values what Wenger does for him. I think Wenger does a great deal for him. And if I was Ozil, I would be very keen to stay at Arsenal and stay with Arsene Wenger. I don't see massive evidence, certainly from what he says publicly, that he feels that way. Mm. OK. Um, let's move on to... Um the issue of the midfield, and it has been interesting to me that when fit, the um, first choice uh, pairing there has been Coquelin and Cazorla ahead of the £35 million signing Granite Xhaka. Um, did you find that an odd decision, David? At the start of the season, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Wenger who's tighter than a tight, tight thing that's actually pronounced tight thing to um, make uh, Chaka the third most expensive central midfielder in footballing history uh, and then leave him on the bench uh, after a, a very, well, the, the only outstanding player in the Swiss team during the Euros. I mean, it's very, very confusing seeing as Francis Coquelin's uh, career with, international career with France was turning up for one training session and then being asked to go and find a tin of tartan paint or a skyhook or one or the other, I don't think he'll play for the French national team. So he was called up to the uh, national squad once? Coquelin, yes. Yeah, in the midst of last season, in the sense oh, that Arsenal okay. found someone. But um, if Didier Deschamps doesn't like you, I, I don't think he'll be coming back. Um, That's and, got echoes of Danielson's call-up for Brazil. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Touché. <laughs> Touché. But, and, oh, I mean, although so, I think Coquelin's a better player than Danielson, in my opinion. Yes, yes I agree. I, yes. But, to be fair to Coquelin, that's in his defence. Then you see uh, see him playing next to Cazorla, who, who is the, the, you know, uh, the linchpin uh, of our midfield and six seven along. But with all due respect, he is um, he he's well, he, he looks like I he looks the age age of thirty one as I do at thirty six in the sense I think I'm slim, but I can't stop that belly from poking out a little tiny bit. Bless him, which is why his international call ups to Spain are generally friendlies away in Japan rather than uh, big games against France, Germany, Italy, etc. Um, he likes his paella. 
Well, he likes his paella. Wenger likes his pairs when it comes to our central midfield too. First, uh, first pair he got together was Vieira and Petit. And they were absolutely... Well, I thought they were perfect. But when he got Gilberto in, him and Vieira were completely unplayable. And then in his last season before he went to Milan, Flamini finally found his form. And him and Fabregas as a midfield duel were absolutely brilliant. And with Cazorla and Coquelin, uh, they just bounced with each other so brilliantly. So if Ainbroke don't fix it, if anything, he's got the best, well, the best reserve midfielder in the whole of the country. Although, uh, as soon as Coquelin's five uh, booking ban kicks in, probably about two weeks, I would have thought, that's when Chucky gets to come in. And then if he uh, appears to do a better job in, in that one, one big game um, uh, in his absence, I'm sure he'll fill in. But at the moment, it's uh, if Ainbroke don't fix it, because Coquelin and Cazorla are very, uh, a working pair that he knows of and knows they bounce off each other. He won't change it unless he, he has started to. with Shaka. He started with Shaka in a couple of games. Well, Cochrane's injured now, yeah. Yeah. so he, he has and, been. And, Sha- uh, and Shaka just looks very solid Watford to me. Away. I mean, he really strikes me as being a, 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 you know, a sort of a class act. I think uh, Watford away Shaka started. He he's captain of Switzerland as well. He captained Switzerland yes, this yes. week. And I think you know who the, the, the normal captain of Switzerland is? Go on. Johan Jury. Next. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, let's uh, let's go to an email. We actually got this for last month's podcast, but I I, I missed it. it. It came in too late, uh, but it's still relevant. And it was sent from um, a chap called Sam Honey. Interesting name, but uh, his question is: Well, he starts. The club has rarely seen the aggression of a player like Vieira since he left in two thousand and five. Is the arrival of Granite Xhaka seeing the return of the hot-headed passion? that proved so crucial to send to the centre of the sides of the early noughties. He captained his last side at a relatively low age. Could he become a club captain and legend? Tim, what are your impressions so far? I would absolutely agree with that. I'm, I'm massively seeing Vieira uh, in Xhaka. They are actually different players. Uh, Xhaka is less mobile. Uh, than Vieira and more of a passer than Vieira, so they're not they are a different style of player, but they both have a real presence uh, on the pitch. I, I noticed the other day when Xhaka, I think it was against Hull, came on as a substitute. He changed the feel of the way that Arsenal were playing, and he's he's got something different. He hits passes that other Arsenal players don't hit. He looks for those long passes and he hits them. It's more like and he Batista makes Vieira, in yeah, a way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Wenger was asked this question, wasn't he? And, and he, he likened him to Petit, I think, didn't he? Uh, my personal feeling is he reminds me more of Vieira, but you can see a bit of Maybe both Petit of them. Petit and Vieira are yeah, one player. Yeah, what well, more could you want? <laughs> I, like that, I like that hope. I like that hope. Um, but he looks good. He looks talented. He certainly seems to have a lot of, of the Vieira in him. I think he's going to get sent off a lot, uh, which is going to really remind me. So it's Cocker, so that's like <laughs> But um, well, they've just got to make sure that they get sent off, you know, in, in turn, so that they can. A nice form of rotation. Yeah, yeah Wenger may be reluctant to rotate his midfielders, but perhaps if they got sent off in rotation, that would work quite well. But no, I, I, I think he looks great. I think David's absolutely right. He needs time to settle into the team. Wenger likes to uh, ease players into the team, and he's doing that. I, I've got a, I, I'm massively optimistic about Shaka's future. We shouldn't expect too much from him before Christmas. 
Uh, but I think we're going to see a lot from him over the next few years. Mm, okay. By the way, listeners, if you're worried about a crackling record sound, that is the rain falling on our corrugated roof because <laughs> great expenses fared on the Guna <laughs> podcast and we are... We do have a corrugated iron roof with rain falling on it. The, the background noise <laughs> can't be as influential as that of Pirate Corner uh, in the old days when they were sponsoring us. Um, so I'm sure we can tolerate that. Um, so, okay, could become a club captain and legend. Arsenal have another non-playing captain at the moment, due to injury, of course. <laughs> But my question is, do you think Shikodran Mustafi would have been bought if the big effing German was not out for several months due to his pre-season injury? Probably not. Absolutely not. He wouldn't have been bought, but thank God he has, because I think he's, no disrespect to Mr Mertesacker, but I'd say he's just... Probably kind of as Murtasaka might be on the on the wane a little, Mustafi's on the rise. So I think we've just we've got you know, and, and also there's nothing wrong with a bit of competition in that position, is there? Look, before Mustafi arrived, we had five first team centres, five in two positions. If anything, we were overstaffed by one. Um, and I don't think the uh, the Chambers loan move to Middlesbrough came out until Mustafi came in. And we had to find someone to pick up his wages just to pay a little bit of it. No, it was um, it was a, a complete accident. Mustafi. Uh, I mean, do you think Arsenal at any point plans uh, plans spending thirty five million pounds on a centre half? Come on, man. But I tell you what, would Mustafi two one up against Tottenham? Was it two? Oh, I can't remember what it was. But that two all draw with Tottenham, where Murtasaka really just had to hoof it into row X and tried to sort of. They got his pocket picked by Kane, didn't he? Who scored then that you know Kane wonder goal that. Uh, I'd like to think, I'd, I think Mustafi would have dealt with that sort of situation a bit better. I think Murtasaka has it in him to balls up a bit. Whereas Mustafi seems, I don't want to tempt fate, touch wood, but he's, uh, he seems a little more solid and dependable. No, no he's, he's, uh, him and, him and Koscielny have started off absolutely brilliant next to each other. But yeah. if ultimately the question was, would Arsenal have considered buying him if all five of our centre-halves were fit? I can guarantee you no chance whatsoever. No. Is no. Murtasaka actually Willie Young? In kind of disguise, though. Uh, yes, I can see similarities. <laughs> Certainly in chasing uh, pacey forwards. Maybe yeah. more like Gordon McQueen, <laughs> the man United. I, I think it's too early. I really like the look of Mustafi, but I think it's too early to, to say he's a success. I think, you know, a centre-back has to prove consistency, and he hasn't played enough for us to prove consistency. Mm. He looks really good. I'm really excited about it. But we mustn't... Uh, prejudge it, you know, he's got to perform for half a season at least before we get to it. I mean, we did see that in the Burnley game where he made the, 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 the quite funny um, uh, effort of showing the referee how he was being pulled by, uh, by um, uh, Sam Vokes, the Burnley centre forward, back himself into the ref saying, look, this is how he's cheating me. It's like, yeah, yeah welcome to Burnley yeah. on a rainy Sunday, Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. You've got this every week in England. So it's well, And that's a good example. He could have been sent off for that. Exactly. That, yeah. was, that was a sending off offence. He was lucky to get Do away with that. Do you remember when Petit did that to the ginger referee, Paul Durkin, once? You know, gave him a gentle push to get his attention. And Paul Durkin, you could see him, see him mouth, right, you're right, that's it, you're off. And yeah. came out for, t- yeah. for touching oh, him. Yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That, oh, yeah. that was last century, I think. Yeah. I had hair, Des O'Connor was white. It was <laughs> different times. I've got a Paul Durkin story while we're here. Can I just quickly share <laughs> yeah, it? As long as I won't get sued. No, <laughs> I, no, I was on Under the Moon, that old TV oh, programme. Channel 5. Channel 5. And, Channel 5. and we, we, we were doing Mr. Bergkamp. Right, I've seen that on YouTube. And, that yeah, clip. and yeah. Paul Durkin was one of the guests. Mm. And at one point, they invited the invited me to go and sit on the couch. So I sat on the couch, and uh, Durkin had just done some really bad decisions against Arsenal that season. I remember he was just like a real pariah of the North Bank, yeah. and I just couldn't help it. He said something. I just went tosser like that. Oh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and they, they quickly sort of got me off the couch. But, um, <laughs> That, that was my... I just thought, fuck, I don't care. I'm an Arsenal fan first and a TV pundit second. <laughs> I think you'd do very well today, yeah. actually. <laughs> you know, Robbie Savage couldn't make a living doing it. So. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. Uh, right, so um, let's have a look now. Um, we've got some uh, questions from uh, Neg. That's his uh, name on Twitter. So... Uh, I'm uh, not sure what that's short for, but anyway. Negative. Poss- he, well, possibly. It's an interesting one. This, um, what impact will the marked decline of the pound have on contracts, Ooh. salaries and possible transfers? I haven't thought about that, really. All we do know is that when we go abroad, <laughs> the, the, the money in our pockets doesn't seem to stretch as far as it did once. Um, what do you think? I mean... You could argue the Premier well, League has got so on. much money, it doesn't really matter. Well, yeah, it that does go down further and further. I mean, if we do get a one euro, one pound thing, the effect it will have is that foreign players will be a lot more expensive. <laughs> yes. yeah. And they'll demand higher wages as well, which is an issue. Yes. So yeah. I understand already uh, Sanchez and Ozil have upped their wage demands in their negotiations to account for the fact that essentially they want income in euros right. uh, or US dollars probably in, in Alexis's case mm. uh, and you said that is it a bit embarrassing that uh, Cronky Sports Enterprises turned down their three million pounds this year and since let's face it ain't worth fucking nothing <laughs> <laughs> does, does anyone would anyone here bet against the pound going lower than the euro as in 99 pence to a euro Within the next six months. No, uh, well, it's not going to happen. Wasn't that being off at the airport yesterday morning um, in those ludicrously? Yeah, well, obviously there's some places that will yeah. do that. I'm talking about the, the official exchange rate. Oh, God, we've got, we've got Winston Churchill over there. He doesn't think it's going to happen. No, 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 it's not going to happen. Not on my watch. I just don't think... If you tell me ten years, then maybe, but not six months. But it, but it will, it's an interesting point, it will dilute the advantage that the English clubs have over the rest of Europe at the moment. It'll dilute it, it won't eliminate it. No, um, the, the bottom line is that the Premier League TV deal means that out of the 30th wealthy, wealthiest clubs in the world, 20 of them are going to be English. Um, so they'll, they'll, they'll manage, I suspect. It'll be an interesting three months, because, I mean, aside from players' wages at the moment, I mean, clubs don't really spend much money uh, outside of transfer windows. So if the currency seems to go towards rectifying itself by the middle of January, I mean, certainly by June next year, that'll be something. But um, we'll have to see what effects next February and March have. But there we go. Mm, OK. Um, Tim, I'm going to give you an opportunity to plug your book now. Um, as, uh, you know, you... Very partly, kind of you. Partly on the podcast to promote it. Um, tell us a bit about It's Happened Again. 
It's Happened Again is subtitled A Tale of Love, Hope, Death and Disappointment. It's all about what it's like to be an Arsenal fan and what it was like to be an Arsenal fan in 1516. Uh, it, it was a really interesting year. It was a year when Arsenal, a lot of Arsenal fans turned. There was an awful lot of hope. We had a better chance to win the Premiership than we have for, for a decade. Uh, we looked like we were on the verge of, of great success and it all fell apart. And we fell apart. Uh, Arsenal fans fell apart. We, the, the, the vitriol of the disagreements over whether Wenger should stay or Wenger should go, well, I've really never seen it quite so divided uh, amongst the Arsenal fans. And it's the story of how that happened. Um, and it's a sad situation. I, th- I think we're still seeing it. It's 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 drifted a bit because we're going through a good it's run. It's a sad, sad right. situation. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's happened again. Was was recalling the happiest moment of the season uh, when uh, it happened again for good old Tottenham Hotspur, and and, and that was rather uh, great. And I think everybody enjoyed that. So oh, I think yeah. it was a lovely moment uh, in the season. But it also reckon, uh, recognises that for some fans. It happened again in the sense that we failed again. And there's a, there's a large body of Arsenal fans who feel that they are seeing the same story repeat itself over and over again. I don't happen to agree with that position, but, but I, 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 I like to represent it in what I write because uh, I'm trying to write about the opinions of all Arsenal fans. Um, so it was a great season. Uh, I, I note I sort of halfway through the book that I, I really wish, uh, if I wanted to sell lots of books, I wish I was writing about Leicester's season, because that's a really great story. <laughs> You've been a lot of books about that. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I still think it's so, a bit, it's a, for someone to do an autobiography like Vardy on the strength of one season, mm. it's a bit like, well, I mean... I, I think I, that's called in that making book? hay while the sun shines. <laughs> yeah, but it was a great season for Leicester. That season, yeah. what Leicester did will be talked about from, by management gurus and sports coaches for the next 25 years, yeah. we won't hear about that. But do you it think, was an amazing achievement. Do you think that a team that isn't one of the big teams uh, can win the Premier League again in the next 15, 20 years? I think it's really improbable. I think what Leicester did was really was genuinely, fabulously unlikely. Yeah. I mean, we, people talk about 5,000 to 1. That is an absurd odds. We just don't uh, give that lightly. No, we were 42 to 1 to beat Liverpool by two goals in 1989. That's about, you know, that, that is over 100 times more likely than Leicester were to win the, win the Premiership last season. Unusual events do happen in, in, in all sports, including football, but not that often. Mm. Um, I think there is a little sense in which the Premier League has concertinaed. The way that the income works and the way that, as you, as you notice, as you noted just now, even the 20th uh, team in the Premier League is actually, in global terms, a rich football team. And, and that means that, that all the Premier League teams are very powerful. And that means that, that the top teams can't dominate the way they could 10 years ago when we knew it was going to be Arsenal, Manchester United... Liverpool and Chelsea in the top four qualifying for the Champions League to the point where it almost became boring. I, I think we have genuinely had a change uh, from then. So, to, so, yes, teams like Leicester have more of a chance uh, than they did 10 years ago, but it is still fabulously unlikely. Um, what Leicester did was really quite incredible as a sporting story. 
Um, and, it, and it's resonated around the world. I was listening to a, a podcast um, by, I think it was The Economist, on how Leicester had achieved uh, success. And it, you know, it's really grabbed attention throughout the world because it, it genuinely was an amazing story. Mm. And, uh, so I, I would have thought, on one level, that's, that wouldn't have been good for the profile of the Premier League because this little team means nothing to anybody. And yet, in fact, it's the opposite. It's actually captured the imagination, it seems, of people who aren't actually that interested in the Premier League abroad mm. and suddenly think, well, what's going on here? What's the story? Yeah. And according to the song, they're neither land nor sea, but <laughs> Leicester. Indeed. As we sung for years, we took the piss out of Leicester for being neither land nor sea. <laughs> and, and here they come back and show us what it's all about. Well, talking of songs, can we sing... Stamford Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. Stamford Bridge is falling down. Poor old Chelsea. Build it up with red and white, red and white, red and white. Build it up with red and white. Poor old Chelsea. There we go. Right, got that out of system. That was a great day. We needed to beat Chelsea, didn't we? It was a great day. It really was a great day. Very much so. Now, uh, there have been a lot of great days over the last 20 years, uh, because it is the 20th anniversary. Apparently today, I was told, of Wenger's first match. I'm not sure how true that is, but I was told by Mark Leach, the um, main snapper at Offside mm. Photography. Um, but anyway, it's certainly around this time, we know that. Um, can you actually remember 1996, when you first sort of got some experience of this individual. Well, it was, who is he? First of all, what can you remember? What can you remember? Pictures of him with the, these sort of goggly glasses and thinking, well, who's this? And Grandpa Sate was mentioned, some Japanese team, weren't they? It was like, oh, what, like we've got some geezer who's out, a Frenchman. How long did it take Japan, for know? him to have a positive impact on you? It was pretty quick. I seem to remember it was pretty quick because we, from the start, well, we won the we won the double. No, I'm talking shit. about I'm talking about no. days and weeks. Oh right, okay. Um, well, going back to the very beginning, I remember the announcement being made, and Wenger being phoned by the Today program on Radio Four and being interviewed, you know, live from Japan, and I was actually quite impressed hearing him speak. You know, there was something about him. And Did he say a lot about the mental strength? <laughs> he didn't use those terms then. But I think what I remember was he had a particular philosophy about football. Um, I'd have to hear the interview. Well, all the players used to. I mean, Lee Dixon and Tony Adams and everything. They all said he came in and brought in these stretching techniques. And he said he, they, they were going on about how he won them another, like, five years of career or something. Uh, and he obviously did. I mean, he, you know, we forget. I mean, we, we moan about him now, but... He came in and he changed things. He really did change things in this country, I think. Diet and all that stuff. Uh, and really took football and gave it a, a very, what, professorial... Um, acad he was very, he's very academic and he's very, he still relies a lot on statistics and stuff, which annoys me a bit, this whole, like, well, if you look at the statistics. And, like, and meanwhile, we're losing games. He's going, oh, yeah, but look at the statistics. But, um, he, you know, he has a scientific approach to it, doesn't he? And, uh, he does. David... Do you remember, obviously at the start of that season, Bruce Riott was sacked very shortly before <laughs> competitive football began. But Just you... after he turned around to the board and said, I want to buy a player, and they say, thank God, who is it? I want John Lukic on a free transfer. <laughs> One second, I've got to make a phone call. 
Um, do you remember Arsenal's start to that season before Wenger actually took up his post? Um, I remember when it was announced. Uh, I was on holiday with my family in, in Orlando, Florida, and uh, I don't know if my dad was, was quoting Dostoevsky or, um, or, or, or um, oh, I'm not sure, but it was, oh, sound fucking French, <laughs> I think was the, the remark he made. But um, when I started school, um, first week of September, um, my, my Latin teacher, Mr. Tristram, uh, it's hopefully listening to, to this podcast and laughing. Is exactly what his a Latin teacher should be called. Mr. David Tristram, Tristram absolutely. Uh, he said, I've never heard of him, but I've only heard good things. I was like, right, okay, it's a, it's a sweet mystery. But um, uh, it, was, it was, let's see what happens, because uh, the fact that um, Bruce Rioch led to uh, Ian Wright putting in a transfer request, albeit via the Mirror on a Sunday. Um, we didn't have Latin at comprehensive school. Oh, well, <laughs> well, well, they, 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 they did have it, but no one, no one went for it. It was one of those weird, we're like, what, you're going to go and do Latin? Well, it's either that or do science, and I can't even spell it. <laughs> anyway, go on. So um, but yeah, um, so, um, it, yeah, it was, um, you know, let's see what, he, what, what he's like, it can't be any worse than the last one. But one of the first things I remember was uh, Ian Wright doing a... F- I think it was the Friday night with Jonathan Ross on Boots One saying, Well, you know, it's, you know what do I call what do I call the boss? I call Tony Adams Tone. You know, uh, I call Paul Merson Merce. I can't call the manager Ross, can I? <laughs> it was like, it, 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 I remember seeing that thinking, Oh, this is all a bit of a joke, isn't it? But, you know, whereas you see Ferguson with his giant, giant red nose and uh, three empty bottles of Chateau Neuf de Pap at every press conference he does, Wenger was just, you know, um, just, just very apt, you know, making the, the occasional quip. Um, he seemed very, very intelligent as a manager, and, and when you're like a GCSE student as I, as I was, you know, it's, um, it's odd to see somebody who isn't, well, you know, get the head down, give it 110%, do it for the gaffer, do it for 90 minutes, whatever, and actually, you know, um, speaks more sense. It does make you sit up and, and, and take attention. But he, he seemed more Graham-esque than Rioc, so it's like, he, he might be French, but having said that, I'm, I'm French by heritage. So, c'était uh, fabuleux pour moi. Right, well, I'll, I'll forgive you, because I think your memory for things is wonderful, but you must have been too young to recall <laughs> that actually, under Pat Rice... Arsenal had a pretty decent start to that season. Uh, they may have even been top, certainly in the top two or three, when Wenger rolled up Ooh. after at least a month of the season. Right. Um, I forgot Pat Rice was in So he came yeah. in to what was a team on a roll, really. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And, and I remember the first thing which really struck me by, about Arsene Wenger, apart from not being Terry Venables, which I was a bit disappointed by. The first thing... <laughs> or Johan Cruyff. Or Johan Cruyff. The first thing which really struck me was Patrick Vieira. Because Patrick arrived before uh, Wenger and he instantly made an impression on the team. Soon as he was on the pitch... A bit like I was saying with Xhaka. He wasn't instantly a brilliant player in the Patrick Vieira who we all remember, but he instantly looked like something different on the you, pitch. You say that, I remember he came on as a sub after about 10 minutes mm. to Sheffield Wednesday. His first touch was making a proper sliding tackle yeah. and then playing a 35-yard ball yeah. across pitch and makes you sit up. I remember that, yeah. on Monday yeah. night. And that's exactly what I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and his, his legs, particularly when he was younger, he lost this a little bit as he got older. He had this... Um, uh, his legs appeared to be telescopic, didn't they? Yeah. He, appe- yeah. he could stretch <laughs> extraordinary distances yeah. uh, to pick up the ball. So I remember that, and, and that was the first time I thought, oh, that's interesting, there's something a bit different here. We've signed some young French blokes. Because, I mean, we've signed young French blokes all the time now, but, but that, 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 that well, was the first time. We already had Bergkamp, and, we already, uh, and Wright was still there. We had so the we basis had a pretty good team. of a very good yeah. team. Yeah. 
we, we, we did. And, and I think he fairly quickly made you sit up and notice. He was clearly different. So I don't know if anyone remembers this, but the, the only foreign manager who we really had experience of was Joseph Fingloss. Yes. Uh, oh, Aston yeah, Villa. He was a disaster at, uh, at Aston Villa. Who won the league? Oh, no, came second to Man United. That was, it was Graham Taylor. Sorry, normally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a disaster. So, and, and that had sort of set back the... And, and this, again, seems extraordinary to remember because, of course... Nowadays, we don't point anything, no one appoints anything other than foreign coaches. But the whole idea of a foreign coach was alien. And, uh, and, and I, was, I was certainly worried that Wenger was going to go the way that Wenglos went and not be a success. He fairly quickly proved that that wasn't uh, going to be the way that it went. And he looked different. And he started, as soon, he started to look different in a positive way. And the fact, that, I mean, you mentioned that, that we did well in the first season, and obviously in the second season, um, but we did particularly well in the first season, and that bought him some time and some credit with the press, with the players, with the fans. And I think that was important. That, that good start was really important. He really may not have survived that first year if he hadn't done well in that first I season. I remember the first time I was... My, my, my first sort of disappointment with Wenger was actually when Merson went. Because mm-hmm. I remember I was thinking, oh, well, Ray Parler's going to get it and Merson's going to stay. And it was the exact opposite. He kept Parler. And I thought, oh, what's he got? I mean, I, I love Parler, but I didn't think Parler was, was quite the, the, the finished article. I, I thought Merson was the one that could make it. And it was funny because Parler just went strength to strength. He just got so yeah. good yeah. Um, under, under Wenger. I remember him scoring that goal against um, Chelsea in the cup final. Uh, him and, and, and Jungbo both got these amazing goals. And, uh, and Parler just, I mean, he must have thought, I'm on, yeah. you know, yeah. se- in seventh heaven here. Because he just get, he seemed to just turn into this great well, player. Well, I, th- I, think, I think that was an early example of Wenger's love of stats. Because he changed the team formation from 3-5-2 to 4-4-2 and effectively Overmars came in and Mercer yeah. went out yeah, and yeah. in terms of pace you know and Parler obviously work rate yeah. you know Mercer he didn't really have either in all fairness to him um, you say that he was on coke he was brilliant well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he certainly knew how to win a corner he always, he always gets the bait, he'd win a corner and everyone would go, oh, go on, Merce, nice well, one. Well, in hindsight, I don't think it wasn't obvious at the time, but in hindsight, Merson didn't look after himself, did he? No. And, and you can see that, that you're not a Wenger player. If you don't respect yourself as an athlete, hmm. Wenger is not going to tolerate you. And I think that it wasn't obvious to us as fans that that was what was happening. He did, he did at one point, he cleaned up his act and did the whole AA thing and everything. But I think that the, the difference with Parler is he'll still be going on. I mean, he tweets pictures of him going out and knocking back pints. I mean, he, he loves a drink, but it, he's just not an addict. It doesn't affect him in that way. And people like... Merson and Adams, mm-hmm. you know, they couldn't drink because if they did, they just went the whole way. And, yeah. and whereas Parler can go and have a curry and a few pints, it's no big yeah. deal. And I think crucially, he was able to knock it off while he was still playing. He still loves it. Yeah. <laughs> still does it today. But he was able to stop doing it while yeah. he was playing and Wenger was his manager. And I think yeah. Merson wasn't. He, he did show a degree of tolerance, though, because uh, my understanding is that that was one of the main reasons why David Bentley didn't quite make it here, as he was at a, a Thursday night curry and beers with, uh, with, with, with the friends guy. Um, and he, from a certain point, he was quite sad that he retired at the age of 28, 29, as he just yeah. lost, lost love of the game. But um, 
Well, how many, how, many, how many players under Wenger have so much potential he perseveres with them until they're 23, 24 and lets them go? But for some of them, it's Sonogo. Um, Is Diaby still in the squad? <laughs> <laughs> Is he still there? Is no. It, if you go onto the website, is it still squad no. Diaby? No, no, no. Where's Diaby now? What is he, is, is he playing? Is he actually I think playing? he's started. I don't think he's playing. playing very much, is he? He did play a couple of times last season, but he did get injured, I think. Um, <laughs> Instantly. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, actually, one more, one more Wenger quip. I do uh, quip. I remember from his, his first three months. It was one of the first interviews with, with Alex Ferguson. And, of course, you've got you know, each of the journalists on their knees looking up to him. And, and uh, his remark was, um, where I was going crazy about uh, the fact that he apparently speaks these six languages. I've got a young African kid here. He speaks ten languages. He's only 14. And all of them laugh, apart from a guy from uh, The Guardian, the Observer, who says, um, which African country is this kid from? And I think he just lost his licence to report on Manchester United yeah. for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, well, this is a quick yes or no question. Um, what, another 20 years? No, no. Um, <laughs> Here's to another 20 years of Wenger. I'm moving on from Arsenal. This is another one from Neg. He, he, he just asks, given Arsenal's fixture lists, would you expect to be top mid-February? Brackets then gets tough. So I haven't actually analysed the fixture list, but I imagine that... The difficult away games are probably after the new year. Um, however, it's a simple question. Are Arsenal going to be top in mid-February? David, yes or no? No. Nasty. Mm, who knows? I don't know. God, possibly. Tim? Yes. Yeah, bit of optimism. Go, um, <laughs> yes, no one in the middle. <laughs> and I'm going to finish with this one uh, from... Um, Actually, it was two, but I'll just do the first one briefly. Adam Haylock asks, if you could swap the Emirates with any other stadium, brackets not Highbury, which which one would you pick? So basically, where would you choose to watch football? Does it have to be a London stadium? Anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. Oh, nice. doesn't matter which team are playing there. I think the question is the... Feeling in the stadium, mm. the, the architecture, whatever it is. Yeah. Providing I get to keep my season ticket, and that's guaranteed for the rest of my life. Loftus Road, right, definitely, because you, you are on the pitch. Yeah. I, I was photographing a game there with my, uh, well, a, a game, the Arsenal away game there last season with my brother, and um, you know, it, whether you, yeah, we were there photographers but, uh, in the, like the three yards between um, the edge of the pitch and uh, and the stands, but um, you could hear everyone talking everything. And I I, I do know um, the two English words that um, Alexis Sanchez knows, and I can't say them in front of my mother. Does one of them begin with F? Oh, oh, he's there. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, Basti, your selection. Oh, um, part of me says New Camp for the reason that we recently went there and Arsenal play quite well when they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, it's just an amazing st- stadium and an amazing city. Funnily enough, Real Madrid's another option because I actually quite like the Bernabeu, which I've also seen Arsenal win in with Kev as well many years ago. Mm-hmm. And so a tough call, but I, I do get Loftus Road because I love it. It's like a, it's like you're in a box of matches. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of a household ship box of matches. Um, uh, but uh, I suppose I'll go. I'll go with Real Madrid Bernabeu. Okay, Tim. I would go with the Bernabeu as well, and the reason is because of the steepness of mm. the stadium. When you're in that stadium, there is an incredible cauldron feeling of, of everyone being very close to the pitch. In fact, the people on the top tier aren't very close to the pitch because they're about 200 metres above it. 
but the, I love the way that the stadium really crowds in onto the pitch, yeah. and that's my sadness about the Emirates that it doesn't. And I'm. This is my absolute. You're, you're, you're my absolute pet could be love. A West Ham fan. Here. No, well, yes, could be worse. <laughs> but you're on my pet love here. That the real problem with the Emirates is that it's not dense enough. Uh, there are not enough people in in such a large space. And I'm desperate yeah. to see Arsenal try and expand that stadium either down or up to try and create that more dense. Uh, high-walled feeling. Well, it, would have to be down. it would have to be down. Like, if they could do what they did, that's the thing about the, the, the new camp. You walk in there on the ground floor and then it goes yeah, down. Yeah. So you actually, they've dug yeah. down. But that's the only way you're going to get more intensity. By going up, it's going to go wider, isn't it? Or up. Well, if you went up, you'd have to hang... You'd have to hang, and I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a, enough of an engineer to know how easy this is to do. You'd have to hang extra stands where the empty corners are. You know how the the stadium has its kind of empty corners. You and I don't know how well that would work. No, I think digging um, down would be the way, but that, it's probably on top of the Piccadilly line or something, isn't it? Well, they've got no. the castle car park underneath. Mm. So if they get rid of that, you could you could go down. I think mm. and the, the only thing is, have the stands been designed for it? So, for example, you couldn't go down if it meant that the lower tier blocked off uh, the view of the club level. That would that would be a big no-no. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I'm desperate to see us do something to expand the Emirates. We seem to think, oh, brilliant! We've got a lovely new stadium. Let's sit on our laurels and wait until it's in, until it's not the greatest stadium in football anymore. Uh, we, we seem to be showing no ambition to develop it. Uh, we clearly have more fans who want to, to get fair, into the stadium. We've just built it about ten minutes ago. Well, that... but you know, you've got to move on in football, haven't you? You well, can't, you can't stand still. Have there you are people what... who want to get into that stadium. Wasn't it revealed no. this afternoon that uh, the Emirates Stadium made more uh, money in the last uh, football season than any other stadium in the whole of Europe? Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. I would ask Stan Kroenke. Is, is I would say that about Highbury. Actually, I mean, I'm, you know, I'd, 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 if I had my way, I'd still be at Highbury. But Certainly, old the Emirates is a cash cow. Um, <laughs> just mentioning the car park, apparently Ivan Gazidis forgot his car park pass before the Chelsea game. The stewards wouldn't let him in for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason. That's brilliant. Uh, some people find that amusing. Or ex-stewards I now, I imagine. <laughs> anyway. Oh, um, well. Right, I've got to uh, wrap up, so um, I'm just going to plug the next issue with the Guna that uh, it's the second one this season it goes on sale this weekend at the Swansea home match if you do pick it up at the stadium it comes with a free A2 sized art poster of Mesut Ozil uh, this one includes features on the notion of Arsene Wenger as England manager reflections on the summer transfer window written by Mr Rudo over the upper side of the desk uh, the In the Away End regular looks at the Chelsea forums at the time of their September defeat to Arsenal as uh, nostalgia pieces on the Gunners' 91-92 season, as well as the 1982 visit of Spartak Moscow. Oh, yes. uh, the 5-2 defeat, you remember. Uh, a trip report by Tim Stillman on the away game at Paris Saint-Germain, and plenty more. It's available from the online Guna website if you want to, send, uh, to want, want to be sent a copy in the post, or you can buy an e-edition of it to read on your tablet or phone. We are also looking for a couple of new sellers for this season. If you're interested in making some money before going into the stadium to watch the game, just get in touch with the website. Look for the link to the contacts page at the bottom of the homepage on the site. 
And a reminder that you can contact us regarding anything to do with the podcast via Twitter at Guna Podcast and email gunapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for all the questions and topics submitted for today. With that, it is goodbye from Tim. Goodbye. David. Goodbye all. And Mustafa. Goodbye. We will be back with another Can episode. I change my name to Mustafi now? Uh, okay, uh, remind me next time. Uh, we will be back with another edition next month. This is your host, Kevin Witcher, saying goodbye and thank you for listening. la di da da la di da Old good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey!